The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. Uh, it's pretty good coffee, and it is hot, and it is a Thursday morning, July 21st, 2022. Good morning, people of Earth. I am your loyal, humble dog. Uh, feeling a little tired, feeling a little uh, clammy, sweaty, and those are my complaints for today. What are your complaints for today? Actually, uh, I'm not really complaining. I love the heat, um, as I say a lot during the time. I got to remind myself, I live for this time of year. I love the summer. Sitting still is not. Sitting still in a hot room is not the best thing you can do in summer. Uh, Spent a lot of time outdoors yesterday digging it. Oh, by the way. (laughs) Uh, I have no guest co-host today. I, I, my guest is somebody uh, who has been scheduled before and didn't show up then. Uh, I'm thinking he's going to show up today uh, because he has uh, requested a, a reschedule and came by and actually showed me his plane ticket and gave me <laughs> with the excuse that he didn't make it last time. Whatever. I do think he will be here today. The problem is, I don't know who he is. (laughs) Oh, that's an evil laugh, isn't it? Oh, my, Dr. Evil. Um, His Facebook page has him listed as Peters Parkers. Almost every show I've seen him on, he's he's listed simply as Paul P. Uh, So I don't even know who he is. I'm not sure he knows who he is. Funny guy. His um, Facebook page has uh, a- clips of some of his performance, stand-up performance um, and some skits that he's performed and written himself. Now, um, I know he's been in the game for quite a while because uh, I'm, I'm looking back through his history, but I don't, again, you, you if you think his name is Paul P., which uh, I'm uh, Paul P., if I Google that, I'm going to get Paul Provenza as my top, um, Paul P. Comedian, Paul Provenza, my top search result on that. I don't find a web page on him anywhere, but I've seen him doing residencies at places like, uh, um, I'm drawing a blank now, Caroline's in New York and uh, the Brooklyn Comedy Club and uh, Broadway Comedy Club. And he's in Indianapolis on uh, the 13th of August at a place called uh, Frank Fountain Square uh, with Mike Stricker from uh, Chicago. And he's listed there as Paul P. But again, I don't find any 
anything about him online. I mean, because if you're going to Google Paul Peters or Peters Parkers, which he's listed as on Peters Parkers uh, on Facebook, um, nothing comes up. But I know that he's, I see him going back about eight years now doing stand-up, maybe longer than that. So it should be an interesting conversation. Anyway, my guest co-host today was supposed to be a guy named Fat Jay. I hate calling him Fat Jay, but I don't know I don't know him by any other name. Uh that's what he goes by, but he's not here because he's in Chicago doing some shows, mix up. So guest co-host, guests we one after another. I mean the percentage is still small, but it seems like too many people leave me hanging. <laughs> I feel jilted. Anyway, so I'm going solo here today. If anybody is, um, yeah, you know, I thought about it. Good morning, Kevin. You're the only one in the chat room right now. And uh, did his uncle die from a robbery gone wrong? Yeah, um, I, obviously he, but that's Peter Parker's. Not Peter's Parker's. Why he made them both plural? I don't know. He's not Spider Man. He's definitely not Spider Man. I can tell you that he is not Spider Man. Man, crank up the AC, will you? Thank you. Um, but so we'll find out about him. And you know, the co-host. Um, I'm co-hostless today. So if anybody uh is out there and wants to jump in. Be happy to have you as long as I know you. <laughs> what kind of fucking show are you running over there? Uh, it's a show where guest hosts don't show up. Now, tomorrow, I've known all along that there's a good chance or some chance that my guest host won't be here tomorrow. But I'm I'm hoping. I haven't tried to get anybody else because I'm, I'm and I believe we're at 90% sure that tomorrow's guest co-host will be uh just paul uh might fall through though she's got you know you know when you're an in-demand actor things happen you get calls for commercials and stuff and so she might have she might have something better to do than this believe believe it or not something better to do than this tomorrow morning now as highly uh, unlikely as that seems it's always a possibility that people can find things better to do than this. Like, it's just unimaginable, but there it is. Uh, whoo. Uh, well, uh, Kevin says, needing pants is a large turnoff to co-hosting. You don't. You don't need pants. All you need is a shot from the waist up. I'm not wearing pants. Uh, so, no, that's not a, that, that's not a prerequisite. You do not need to even own a pair of pants to be a co-host on this show. A um, lot going on today in the world. Now, he, Jeffrey Epstein, when he got killed, I mean, almost everybody in the, when he got killed. Now, officially, it's a suicide, but I just said when he got killed, and I didn't even think about it. Most people. It doesn't you don't have to be a fucking genius to figure it out. Most people know instinctively that was murder. Uh 
you know, too many unusual circumstances besides the fact that he was about to rat out everybody on the fucking planet who's, who's got money and power for being a fucking pedophile perv. And then he ends up dead. Um, but all the other newsweek says, you know, no guards around, guards on their break, cameras down, all that kind of crap. Um, he was already in suicide watch, and that he just seems to be able to commit suicide. No, 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 no. It just doesn't add up. But the brazenness to be able to kill somebody knowing that it, you don't have to be fucking Columbo to figure out who that that it was murder that's unusual i mean in the past i want to say back in the day again sound like an old fucker that i am people at least put in a little effort to make a crime not seem like a crime or try to get away with it try and they have obviously they've gotten away with the epstein thing but to try to make it look less obvious <laughs> then you know the nose on your face why the fuck am i talking about epstein now because the ivana trump thing has got me ivana ivana trump falling down supposedly falling down a flight of stairs and then more details come out about it the less i think it, how could it be a fucking accident now i don't know if you know this well, let me go back. Okay. So I think this is what most people know. Most people know that she was, um, that Donald and her three children were set to testify in a fraud case in, in New York. Not testify, give a dep deposition in their fraud case that they've been resisting for several years now, not wanting to do it. And they ran out of reasons to not do it. And it turns out Ivana was uh, calling Trump on January 6th and, and turns out that she was still consulting with him a lot, even while he was through his presidency, a phony presidency, and calling him. She called him on on January sixth, supposedly. Now I don't have proof of that. I there's articles that have been written about it and claiming this. We'll see where that goes. We'll see if there's any proof of this. But claiming that she called him, uh, crying, asking him to call these people off. You're ruining you're, you're ruining your legacy. You're ruining the country. What all? She was asking him to call off the insurrection. And he hung up on her. And so uh, they were talked that in this the articles that I read, and it came from a place called the American Post, and it's not in any mainstream media, which is questionable in itself. I mean, nobody else that I know of has run the story. So you've got to take it all with a grain of salt. But in the American Post article, it says that, you know, the the January 6th committee was interested in talking to her. Night before uh, Trump's uh, supposed to uh, be deposed in New York City, she dies at the bottom of a staircase 
with really no no injuries, which is interesting. Uh, the coroner ruled blunt force trauma to the torso, but no broken bones, no fractured skull, no no bruises, no no damage. Fell down the stairs. Now, what makes it really suspicious is that she was holding a cup of coffee that didn't spill until the bottom of the stairs. You're falling down the stairs with a cup of coffee, blunt force trauma, and don't spill a drop until you get to the bottom? That's a little fucking odd. I couldn't do that if I tried. Now, turns out... Let me see if I can pull this up because I don't. I want to get his name. Um, yesterday, uh, her her she had a boyfriend. Uh, Dan Fernandez is that his name? Uh, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Let me look at boyfriend. Uh. Oh, her ex-husband, uh, fourth husband, Rosano Ruby Cundi, died, 49 years old. Italian actor Rosano Ruby Cundi, Ivana Trump's fourth husband, died Friday, not yesterday. The year-long bottle with melanoma, okay, uh, he's 49 years old, uh, died the, the day that, like, Within hours after she's finding out the bottom of the stairs. Does that seem odd? Okay, he had cancer. Yeah. But to die within hours of her falling to a death, uh, it, it, it just uh, seems, you know, and not to go too far out on a limb here, but it just, the coincidences, Trump gets out of testifying because he's supposedly in mourning. Meanwhile, he's adding a donation button, Mr. Self-Funded, a donation button to the only public statement he's made about her death. And he gets out of uh, being deposed because he's in mourning. His ex-wife that he obviously doesn't give enough of a fuck about to actually... Uh, be in mourning because what he did was go on the campaign trail. He went on, well, not officially on the campaign, went on the rally trail. The, um, I don't know, the Hitler Youth Rally, the MAGA QAnon uh, pep rallies. He went on a couple of those the very next day while he was, while he should have been being deposed. Just feels Epstein-ish to me. It just feels like, wow, there's too many fucking coincidences and too many things that don't add up. Falling down a fucking flight of stairs, no cracked skull, <laughs> no broken bones, no evidence of real bruises and damage. You fall down a flight of stairs to die, you would expect some kind of fucking... You... Injuries. Blunt force trauma. What the fuck does that mean? Blunt force. Somebody hit her with something? No, she fell and she hit what? Her 
torso? And that killed her? And she didn't spill the coffee? <laughs> she got to the bottom? It just seems so fucking weird for me, man. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, somebody had suggested... Man, I'm feeling a little sluggish here. Got to get some more coffee in me. Somebody had suggested... With all the conspiracies that, that Trump is probably behind it. That it would it was meant to send a message. It's fucking... Because Trump is a fucking... Uh, he's a mafia don. Mafia don, no doubt about it. But meant to send a message to Ivanka and Jared. That's pretty heavy shit. Don't tell the truth in your deposition. Look what happened to mommy. Whoa. That's some fucking crazy shit to think about, isn't it? Not so crazy. Not so crazy. If you look at the history of Trump and all the... Listen, either he's definitely has Satan as a guardian angel watching out for him, guardian black angel watching out for him, or every fucking time it seems like he's about to be indicted for something, and this is going back 40 years now, People end up dead. Epstein could have named Trump. We know how good friends they were. We know they shared their love of underage girls. Donald even said that. We we have plenty of evidence of them partying together. Epstein might have had something to say. But we go down to the CEOs of Trump Plaza, Trump Taj Mahal, all those guys dying right before they were supposed to be indicted. Uh, And just like a long history of that. And if you look at Trump's upbringing uh, and his mentoring, mentorship from Roy Cohn and Roy Cohn's undeniable questions, affiliation with that kind of behavior, ties to that kind of behavior, it all looks like, and no attempt, it it looks like a poorly scripted uh, mafia hit with no attempt to even try to fool anybody. Yeah, I killed her. What the fuck? Now, 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 now. Now, and he's kind of sugarcoated it a little bit. I'm talking about Merrick Garland. And Merrick Garland, well, we'll start with uh, Bill Barr, who was attorney general under Trump, who did not want to risk Trump being uh, indicted in a political uh, year in, a, in an election year, and went out of his way to make make it DOJ policy not to investigate or indict during a um, a an election year, as long as he claimed he was running for office. Now, and Merrick Garland, and in a memo of May twenty second of this year. Echoed that, doubled down on it, 
not going to invite, indict, or even investigate during an election year. What that means, and I'm sure it won't apply to you or me. <laughs> what that means, what's a DOJ to now one a Republican, one a Democrat, two attorney generals have said you can commit any crime. Treason is the highest crime you can commit. And if you're not if you can get away with that, you can get away with anything. You can commit any crime in America so long as you are running for president. Think about that. Now, okay, again, I come back to the point that <laughs> it won't it won't apply to you or I. It won't. It just won't happen. But it would be interesting to see somebody about to get indicted for something and just say, you know what, I'm running for president, all hands off. Why not? Why not? If you're about to get indicted for a major crime, why not just declare your president, your, your candidacy for president of the United States and see how that flies? Test that. Test that the DOJ department precedent that has been set again by a Republican and a Democrat. Sure feels like Garland is part of Q, Q MAGA or something, or just once. Now, yesterday, Garland came out and kind of backpedaled just a little bit by saying, he did not say he's going to indict Trump. He said a president, a former president, can be indicted. And that they don't do their investigations in public and uh, people have to be patient, blah, 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 fuck. In other words, uh, have patience until the election, uh, the midterm elections are over and we'll see what happens then. And we will see what happens then. And my prediction is that we will see nothing happens then. Because I do feel like this guy has got every kind of fucking get out of uh, trouble, get out, you know. If he did get indicted at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if, if jurors on a trial uh, just ended up fucking dying, getting threatened. Now we know, I'm in, yeah, fucking, I don't care. It's Thursday morning. I don't have a co host. I'm just fucking going out, all out on the fucking Trump shit for right now. I don't care. We know that last week he called uh, election officials in, in Minnesota, still trying to get them to uh, decertify the election of 2022. He's still on it. This shit is not going away. Now, some people floated the idea that maybe maybe Biden should par pardon him. That's Susan Collins. 2.9 uh, whatever 5.1 whatever it is the newest version of susan collins i think he learned his lesson no he didn't learn his lesson his plan has been will always be to pronounce himself king that's what donald trump is all about he's all about himself he's a fucking deluded narcissist and um I am sorry. 
I know this is losing my my me some friends. There are people I know who are um, lifelong friends who drank the Kool Aid. It's time, and I don't. You know what? I I don't. I don't want to tell the Republican people what to do, but it's time to fucking cut this guy, cut bait, and and let this guy fall. I mean, how far, how far are we going to take this till he actually starts killing, whacking jurors when he's indicted? If he's indicted, probably won't be indicted. But how how far are we going to take? We're going to let him pronounce himself king, uh, you know. And who are you aligning yourselves with? Who are your core base of followers? Take a look. If you're standing in line. And the people in front of you are Nazis. And the people behind you are the KKK. Maybe you're in the wrong fucking line. And if you don't feel like you're in the wrong line, why? His core followers are the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, KKK, American Nazi Movement, and you. Are you really going to just stand there in line with those fucking people? Oh, there's good people and bad people on both sides. No, 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 <laughs> no, I'm sorry. There, There is no equivalent to all that hate on the other side. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to inform you. Um, oh, well, the KKK was started by the Democrats. Yeah, in 1865. But there was a switch around somewhere around 1920-ish where the KKK abandoned the Democratic Party and went to the other side. You you can't just ignore that. Oh, uh, Democrats uh, or the KKK, they're one and the same. They were one and the same 150 years ago, 160 years ago. And I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I am a cheerleader for the Democratic Party because I'm anything but. Uh, but it's time to fucking cut cut bait with the fucking Nazis. Kevin's telling me go off on Rogan and the homeless thing. I think I did that yesterday. Um, I did it a little bit last night because I had an author on uh, um, Mac Little. And she got a um, we somehow the conversation went to because we were talking about her novel. <laughs> I'm all over the fucking place, aren't I? I'm like a rambling ninny here. Um, Mac Little has a, a novel, Daughter of Hades. Hades is a pirate ship, fictional pirate ship. It's historical fiction, but it's about. Uh, slaves, African slaves who escaped the slave ship and got on a pirate ship. And there's a erotic romance, uh, some of it, it, there are lots of different angles to the whole story. But we were talking about slavery and slave owners and, and people who seem to be pure evil. I brought up the Hitler example, of course, I was I had Trump in the back of my mind when I'm thinking of, of this. But if people can people be born evil, and we were coming back to the idea of compassion and 
and uh, that no baby is born evil. You have to, you don't, while you don't forgive the crimes they committed, you can have compassion for them as human beings and understand that the babies that were born uh, were not, Hitler was not born evil. At least I doubt he was. Shit happened to him that made him evil in his life. And so I try to apply that same kind of thinking to Trump. But the idea of compassion, not forgiveness for the crimes, but compassion for whatever and empathy that, you know, we could be made evil too. You and I could be made evil just in the same vein. So that idea of compassion came in. And then I started talking about the Rogan thing. Rogan has been irresponsible for a long time with his words. And it doesn't shock me that he can continue to be irresponsible or think of himself as untouchable. You know, when you have a $100 million contract, it's hard to imagine that you could be homeless. It's hard to imagine that that could be you. And when you can't imagine that that could be you, there is no compassion. There is no forgiveness. There is none of that. So it doesn't surprise me that Rogan has lost his ability to be empathetic. But here's the the part that really they see, I'm talking about the entitled people, the people, the, the very wealthy, they see the homeless as people to blame for being an inconvenience on their otherwise perfect lives to the point where, okay, now the the comment that Rogan made, if you don't know, and you didn't join me yesterday, uh, no, I didn't do edibles again, uh, this lack of sleep explains these these Spanish and and trying to keep these thoughts in line is not always a difficult thing. Oh, not always an easy thing. It's, it can be a difficult thing. <laughs> um, what he said was, first of all, he was upset that there were porta potties on the street because God forbid the homeless people should um, have a place to relieve themselves that's not on the street. Now, that that's a major inconvenience for Rogan to see porta potties on the street. He doesn't live in L.A., by the way. He complained about this in L.A. This is in L.A., not North. Complaining that they, homeless people have porta potties and then he, he was outraged that one homeless person living on a sidewalk had brought a dresser from the place they were evicted from. A dresser. How dare they? How dare you try to retain some of your life and take that with you when you lose your home? Literally outraged by this. And then Segura brings up that in California, that's considered protected property. And Rogan's like, well, it should be. He's thinking, meaning the sidewalk. No, Segura's talking about the uh, dresser, and when Rogan realizes that, then he becomes outraged at that. That's ridiculous. You mean we can't just come and take that dresser from a homeless person? That's just stupid. Really? 
they just lost everything they have, their home, everything. They managed to take this one fucking dresser, or maybe a change of clothes, maybe some photographs, all that remains of their life. And you feel like, because you're a fucking elitist, that you should have the right to just go take that from them. And it's an outrage that the government doesn't let you do that. These people that want to piss in porta potties and shit in porta potties and have a dresser. So, uh, Brogan's next comment was maybe we should just shoot them. That would deal with the homeless people. Now, obviously, he said it with a smirk on his face. Obviously, a bad joke. You know, this is, people talk about Rogan being a top comedian, and he talks about himself being a top comedian. That's the funniest thing you can fucking say. Give it up, man. That's, you know, uh, and I'm not against dark humor, but there's nothing funny in that. There's, and that's that's typical of his fucking comedy. Nothing, you know, laugh. Even Segura didn't even know, didn't think of it as a ha-ha-ha moment. Segura's reply was more troubling. I like your thinking. In other words, I don't want to, you know, paint everybody who, but in other words, it's all, these people are a real fucking problem for my perfect life. Why should I even have to look at these fucking people? It's such a fucking inconvenience to my multi-million dollar easy life to have, like, they're homeless they're homeless to fuck your life up because your life would be perfect if they weren't there. We have a homeless problem, homelessness problem in America. And uh, instead of talking about real solutions, we're talking about shooting people. No empathy. Instead of asking, why is our fucking system, and I'm a capitalist at heart, but their capitalism can run amok of unchecked and it's been completely unchecked and unbalanced for since 1945 I would say unchecked unbalanced capitalism run amok and so what we see or it's becoming more and more since 1945 more and more unchecked and unbalanced and to the point where we are now where it's just billionaires running the world. And, of course, poor people are a major inconvenience to them. Fucking sad. It's sad. Uh, and then, so instead of fixing the problem and having some compassion for people, offering a hand up. Now, there are some people, and I, God, nobody knows this better than my myself and my wife. There are some people you cannot give a hand up to because they don't know how to take a hand up and they're not ready for a hand up. There has to be a way of dealing with that that is not too coddling to just say, here's money, here's a place, Uh, we know you'll be all right now. But a large percentage of people, we're talking about vets, we're talking about hardworking people who had things go wrong in their life. People lost their home for lots of different reasons. Lost their job. Lost, uh, you know, lost their house to an a uh, you know an act of nature, something. Uh, 
people people can fall and when they fall you just can't abandon them and say well that's it that's your life now and we have a severe drug problem on the streets and the cheap drugs there's a lot that we need to deal with but seeing it as an inconvenience to yourself like this is so self-centered so egotistical so lacking in empathy lacking in humanity that it boggles my mind that anybody can remain a fan of of people like that now i like to think Segura was just unable to be critical of his friend. You get too close to somebody, and and I understand microphones are on and conversations are happening, and people aren't always thinking about what they're saying. But if my friend said that, let's just shoot the home homeless people. I know I would be able to say, dude, did you even just think about what just came out of your fucking mouth? Did you, do you really, you know, do you think about that? And I would stop. And I, this is me. I would not hold back from being open and honest with a friend. How ridiculous what you just said was. Sakura's comeback was to be supportive of that. I like your thinking. I like your thinking we should go shoot the fucking homeless. What a fucking clusterfuck. So if you're still a friend, a fan of Joe Rogan, it's time to look into your own heart. Now, uh, I got to read some of Kevin's got, got a lot to say in the chat room. He seemed, uh, uh, good morning, Christina. Not a lot of action in the chat room today. Uh, we do have quite a few people listening and watching, but I can't stand Jordan Peterson, but saw a video of him saying Trump ruined his brand as ultimate winner by claiming the election was stolen. For really? I got to find Jordan Peterson saying that. I am not a fan of Jordan Peterson either. Jordan Peterson is a really, he's, a, he, he's an example of what happens when somebody gets famous and they're not ready for it. They get uh, all that attention on them. And ego, you know, his ego ran away with, you know, just completely blew up and he thinks he has the answers to everything. But if he actually said that, I would be, well, you know what? Even a blind squirrel finds a fucking acorn once in a while. That's what I would chalk that up to. But I would have to agree with him. Uh, but no, I wouldn't have to agree with him completely on that. The more I think about it, Trump did not ruin his brand as the ultimate winner because he never had that brand as ultimate winner. He claimed to have that brand as an ultimate winner, but everything I've known him ever to do has been a failure except the Plaza Hotel, well, two things, the Plaza Hotel and the ice rink in Central Park. Both of those mob funded, uh, and Daddy was still the CEO of Trump Enterprises at that time. Uh, but that's those are the things; those are the really only two successes and running for president. But well, I'm not even sure he didn't he didn't cheat on that. I mean, he cheats on everything else. He cheats in his golf game. He cheats, <laughs> but every venture, every fucking venture he's ever been. 
from the you know USFL to Trump steaks to Trump airlines to Trump fucking vodka, Trump magazine, you name it. Everything has been a failure. All his fucking hotels. Where where does this brand, this ultimate winner, come from? Um remember he did go broke he did go completely broke and had to be bailed out by banks uh several times in his career i i don't i think uh so jordan peterson at least acknowledges that uh claiming the election was stolen uh was a mistake good at least he sees that light but to say he ruined his brand as ultimate winner get a grip bro Never had a, he was never an ultimate winner. Never had that brand. He claimed that brand. It was a lie like everything else fucking comes out of his mouth. Uh, yeah. As, I guess this is about Peterson. Uh, and supposedly forgetting where you came from, he's told sober stories about uh, growing up poor and all that. Yeah. Uh, and he's a... <laughs> He, he put himself out there as the voice of modern masculinity, but cries at a fuck at the drop of a hat. On, I mean, it's not unmasculine to cry. It's not unmasculine to cry, but if you cry every time the wind blows, maybe you're a drama queen. It's possible, and I say absolutely. Uh, is the case with Jordan Peterson. He is a drama queen, a shell, a shell of a man. Now listen, I know what... <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my best Jordan, Jordan Peterson impersonation I, um, I can do. Anyway. Um, so uh, I got to find this video. You could call it, call it uh, Junior Bully. Uh Oh, calling him a junior high bully. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's what he is. Um, anyway, I'm going to play my spot. I got to get some fresh coffee, man. And I don't have a guest host here, so I'm just keep. I'm rambling until Peter Parker's Paul P. Somebody with two P's in their name, comedian, will be joining me at 10. Maybe. Again. He was scheduled once before and didn't show up, Apparently was um, stuck in an airport somewhere, no Wi-Fi, whatever. Uh, but well, I guess we should go to mybookie.com and uh, place some bets on whether he's going to show up here at all today. be interesting to see. Anyway, what do I want to play? I want to play uh, True Fire. True Fire today is uh, broadcast. It's brought to you by True Fire. Uh, want to learn to play guitar? You want to be better than uh, the guy who was in the chat room asking me to play C major 7 for the last week or so? You want to be better than uh, Jamie's kid on guitar? Well, I got news for you. There's a way you can learn online at your own convenience and learn thoroughly in a structured uh, course that is made right for what you want to learn on guitar. It's called TrueFire, TrueFire.com. There's a link in the description, and here's what they do. Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with TrueFire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. 
True Fire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire's style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations and track your progress as you work through your personalized TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, TrueFire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Woo! I'm just going to check the weather report here for for here because it, it's only 82 degrees right now, but we're in. We're not getting that high today. Only in the mid eighties, but I tell you, we yesterday got up to like ninety four here, um, and it's been the humidity has been like really, really, and so in the morning it's not we're not used to this kind of humidity early in the morning. It generally takes till noon to start feeling it, but wow, very very warm. Good weather for going down to the beach. I might go for a swim in the um. Long Island Sound today, uh, and uh, you know what? I'm not. I'm my best swimming days are behind me, and I'm not really a sound guy. I've always been an ocean guy. I'm on the South Shore, the ocean is a much better swim. The sound is filled with rocks. Um, you got to wear kind of beach shoes to go out into the water, and the rocks everywhere, and Rocks under the water that you could crash in. It's just a rocky, rocky coastline up here. Not not the ultimate for swimming. Prefer the, the ocean. Kevin asked before. It looks like Kevin is my co-host today, my invisible co-host. Hello, Kevin. Uh, if I ate edibles last night. No, I did not. But I did get, I did go to the dispensary and get some marijuana uh, medical marijuana. This is uh, what the brand here is Coal Care, right? It's a Tiva blend, and I posted this on um, Twitter last night because it says this is an eighth, three point five grams, an eighth of an ounce, not a lot. And what it says is uh, three point five grams equals one hundred and forty doses. One hundred and forty doses. Now. Even if you break that down, it's like a hit. Uh, a dose is a hit. I don't know how you would do that, how you quantify that in the first place, because a hit could be a bit. I know guys who could fucking hit this whole thing in one shot, put it in a bong, <laughs> and the whole thing would be gone. I don't know how you break that down. Um, 
and there's some guy uh, on Twitter, Foster Junkin. I don't know what the fuck these. Where these people come up with these uh, Twitter? I know, I know people say that about me too. You know, how do you come up with Kelp Kelp Nate? I didn't. Um, but see, I don't know how people come up with these uh, names. But so it's twenty percent THC, which is a high high level. Now I know out in California, they probably even have the higher than that. In New York, we still don't have recreational dispensaries. We're probably going to have that in the next six months or so. But you got to have them. So this is a medical marijuana. It's 20%, um, 140 doses in 3.5 grams. And I shared this on Twitter, and the guy asked me to take a picture of this Fausto Junkin guy, and he starts he starts uh, bad-mouthing, like, uh, oh, that look, I hope it's better than it looks, and I don't know you guys get ripped off down there. I don't know what down there or down there kind of suggested he's in Canada or something because I don't know um if you know New York Canada is right up on top of us in Montreal I mean we're we're down there unless he's from Maine or Vermont or or, you know down there but um you know putting down my weed (laughs) which I take a session to now I have to say 10 grams no no, not 10 grams. Oh, oh, Christine. Uh, my friend smokes 10 grams of hash. And, wow. Wow. Uh, gram, yeah. Anyway, this, uh, so the question was, did I take edibles last night? I did smoke that stuff. And I have to say, it is a lot better than this other Columbia Care indigo one that I had. <laughs> and, that is eighteen uh, percent. It doesn't say how many doses. Hard as a rock stuff, but it, this stuff did nothing for me. This stuff did nothing. Oh, does it say how many doses here? Uh, no, it doesn't say how many doses on this one. That's weird. They put that put it on some. They put like ingredients. Ingredients like ingredients suggest you're putting shit in there, right? Doesn't it to me? It would. Anyway. So, no, I did not do um, any edibles last night, but I did get stoned as a fuck. That's the problem. I got re- very stoned on that stuff. Up late, uh, trying to write some music. <sighs> kind of frustrated in uh, the music output right now. Um, I have a bunch of songs I have to do vocals on, and I hate doing vocals. I hate the sound of my own voice, especially in the recording studio. Live is one thing, but when I have to listen back, extremely critical, can't stand listening to my own voice. So I was up till, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning, um, trying to get a vocal I could live with, and ended up scrapping the whole fucking thing and want to start over again. Uh, so that's, that's why I'm probably a little bit tired today. Uh, I am looking forward to tonight in a big way, Derek Sheen. Uh, if you're not a fan of Derek Sheen, I would suggest, uh, checking out his YouTube channel, checking out his website. First of all, he's a great artist as well as comedian. He's also a bit of a rock star, songwriter, guitar player, but, um, uh, another one of uh, people who are in comedy, making a living, at, making a good living from being a comedian, constantly on the road. Uh, 
uh, constantly working. And one of the better, uh, you know, it's all subjective, of course, but one of the the funniest guys, I mean, he he's very, very, very funny and underappreciated. He's not a household name by any means, but, you know, he's, he's out there he, opening for Patton Oswalt just about everywhere he goes, uh, you know, and um, making a career out of it and needs more recognition uh, than he gets. Um, so I'm a- excited about that. Uh, Peter Parker's Paul P. will be with me at, uh, or should be with me in about eight minutes, but with the caveat that he has missed it once before and he might miss it again. I, mean, I think it's probably a good thing to call my bookie and set up a line on what we've already had Fat Jay. I hate saying Fat Jay. I want to call him by his name, but I don't know what his is because everything I've known him by, I've seen him perform twice live and follow him on Facebook. And he goes by the moniker Fat Jay. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. I, you know, if he was a, a friend and he was, you know, very big, I wouldn't, I guess I, I had a friend I called Fat Guy. It's just, you know, I, He's comfortable with it, but I'm not. It's you know, it's, I feel like I'm body shaming a guy who I don't even know. But that's his moniker. Anyway, he was supposed to be the co-host today, but he's off working in Chicago, um, so uh, he didn't show up. So it was a good chance. Peter Parker's Paul P. <laughs> won't show up again. Uh, also, uh, you know what? It is what it is. Tomorrow, 90%. Uh, I'm like a weatherman here. Tomorrow, 90% chance of Jess Paul. <laughs> and uh, Max Dolicelli will be uh, the guest tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's just call him fat if Jay bothers It's Yeah, I get it. No, uh, Jay, Jay bothers me because I always think of joint. Uh, I because I think of a, a smoke of fat Jay, that's why it bothers me. No, I, I feel like I'm fat shaming the guy. Anyway, but he calls himself Fat Jay, so he Fat Jay will probably be a guest co-host sometime during this five week period, which I think will probably will probably extend long beyond five weeks. I don't think Kiera's coming back now. I do have a gig with her Saturday. Uh, first time I'll see her in a couple of weeks. I don't think she's coming back to the show. And I don't blame her for that. Uh, I don't think I would if I were her. Uh, she's got a lot going on. Getting up in the mornings. Not really paying the bills <laughs> in any way. Uh, and, you know, who needs it? So if I were her, I would uh, I would say, after, especially after not doing it for two weeks, she'd probably be like, you know what? I got my life back. So I don't expect her to be back after five weeks. I don't know what I'm going to do. I might end up without a co-host. I did get more very comfortable in having the co-host. Some, somebody to banter with there. Somebody to have to talk to while we wait for the guests. You know, get, get through um, some, of, some of the... Uh, just to bounce ideas off of. Even if those ideas are absurd and flat-earthy and uh biblical 
that stuff. I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't. I'm sorry. I am a very hateable guy when it comes to that stuff <laughs> because I don't know. Maybe I'm just the, the older I get, the more I, like I understand that it, it, there are valuable lessons in the book. There are things that you can take away from it that will be positive in your life. But if you're a literalist and take every word in that book um, as if as if it's actual fact, if it's based in reality, that blows my mind. It's not that I'm judgmental of you. I'm not thinking. And, and I know the problem is if you're a person of faith and you believe in that stuff, you feel like people who don't are calling you stupid. I think anybody can can believe in anything if they, and so I don't think intelligence factors into it because I know a lot of intelligent people who buy into it, very intelligent and schooled and educated people. I don't think you have to, I don't think it's a matter of intelligence. I just think it's a matter of uh, wanting to believe so bad or needing to believe so bad but come on, man! It's fucking Santa Claus in my view. It's like, didn't you didn't you figure out that that's Daddy in a suit by now? Whatever. Uh, so you know, and and when when you're like Prophet, I don't know if you've seen the the or listened to the episode where I had um, Dave the Prophet. Dave the prophet was a guy who was going to prove the existence of God, uh, and he wanted to use the Bible to do that, ironically enough. But uh, he was on the program, and I know when he left, there was some anger. He felt like I was condescending and calling him stupid. And when you want to get, you feel like you, you put yourself in the position of missionary to convert people, and they don't your message is not received it can be really frustrating. Hey, I'm bringing you the word, the good word of the Lord and you're not hearing it. And then they get frustrated and get angry and lose their forgiveness and compassion and all the stuff that their message is supposed to <laughs> contain. <laughs> so Dave left a little angry at, at me, a lot angry at me. Uh, and I, I think that probably fuels with Kiera's um, frustration with the program as well. Uh, because let's face it, you got to read the room. And this room, this room, is not all that receptive to Bible study, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, let's see what, what Kevin is saying. Now, Kevin's my co-host today, my invisible co-host. Uh, Culture poisons critical thinking. Great. If you're raised in church, no matter how intelligent you are, you learn. Nah, I was, I don't know if I was raised in church, but I definitely uh, had exposure to church, and it didn't didn't infect me. I I mean, I never was a fan of church, and the idea of, um, even if you're a believer in, in God that they believe in, which is the invisible old man with the big white beard living on a cloud God, 
it's hard for me to imagine that he needs you to be in a building built by men to go give money to men. <laughs> uh, you know, why would, why would the old man in the cloud need me to give money? <laughs> go to this building. If he's everywhere, why do I need to go to this building and give money to strangers uh, who are just going to use it and not pay taxes on it and just get rich themselves? Catholic Church is a fucking uh, money machine. Uh, if you brought that nonsense to someone at 45 years old for the first time, 90, 99% would smell a scam. I disagree with that, Kevin, because... There are people, and you know, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I, it makes sense. But there are people who were never exposed to that in their life, who became born again later in life, forty five, fifty five, sixty five, whatever. Plenty of them. Um, the pastor at the local church here, um, he never went to church in his life, was a drug addict, found himself in a car with a bunch of um, born-agains, and they decided to pray for him. And that was the moment he found the Lord. So uh, I, I I don't definitely don't agree that if you brought that nonsense to someone at 45 years old for the first time, 90, you know, well... Maybe you're right. I got to rethink about this because obviously nobody can get through life without knowing, knowing the story. So it's not like the, the story was fresh to him in that moment where people decided to pray for him. So he knew the story. He just finally decided to accept it without ever going to church before. And now he's a pastor. He's got his own flock. And listen. He wears some fancy duds, man. He's uh, he's doing well with the um, business of preaching. Let's see. It's 102, an hour and two minutes in. Uh, Peter Parker's Paul P. was supposed to be here two minutes ago. Am I, am I sensing a pattern? This is going to be a show of me just talking nonsense like I'm like a fucking pothead. For two hours, I don't think that's a good show at all. But I can promise you a better show tonight at 8 p.m. If you're so inclined to uh, tune in, then I can promise you one of the best Mind Dog TV uh, programs ever tonight at 8 p.m. when Derek Sheen is my guest. Guess what? Uh, Paul P., not Peter Parker's, (laughs) is here. Now, I want to... He's in the back room, and I'm going to bring him in in a minute. I want to put something out there. for It's a trivia question, and if anybody gets it, what will they win? Let's see. They're going to win a Mind Dog uh, TV T-shirt. This is a real deal. I'm going to put this out. The first person who can get this right. Now, there's a poem. Poem? Yeah, I guess it's a poem. It's a thing. It's a um, tongue twister. It's Peter Purvisu Patterson had a pet pig named Porky. His pet pig named Porky loved pie. He loved pizza pie, pineapple pie, pumpkin pie, tarts. Peter Purvisal Patterson's pet pig named Porky loved pie so much that he popped. 
If you can uh, tell me where that came from, you're going to win a Mind Dog TV uh, T-shirt. Peter Purposeful Patterson, pet pig named Porky. Uh, don't Google it. If you Google it, uh, I will know you Googled it, and I will uh, declare you a, a forfeit and give it up. Now, Peter's Parker's Paul P., uh, Peter Purposeful Patterson, the comic, uh, is is in the back. Now, his Facebook page says Peter's Parker's. His name down there says Paul P. Every uh, thing he's listed on uh, as far as show stuff comes up as Paul P. Several comedy clubs have him as uh, a regular comic at their comedy clubs on their websites listed as Paul P. Well, we got to get to the bottom of this Spider-Man uh, thing. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome in the fabulous and very funny Double P guy. Paul, welcome. Uh, can I, am I calling you Paul? Am I calling you Peters? No, you're, you're calling me Paul. Paul's perfect. Peters is, uh, that's just the alias for work. Okay. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, Peters Parker's is Spider-Man, but he it was just Peter Parker, right? Yes. <laughs> where did that all that come from i mean uh, was it was it trying to make people think of a spider-man because everybody calls you paul that i can see yes no so okay one of my friends at uh, uh one of my friends back in like 2016 17 2017 um she's like you know she used to call me peter parker because i don't know why she used to call me peter parker all the time he, you know he's a fan of spider-man right? definitely and, and okay <laughs> So now you're, you're a very funny comic. I've watched uh, some clips of you. I, I've only seen you online, never seen you in person. You're a very funny guy, but I have to say, you're a terrible fucking marketer, man. <laughs> I am. Thank you. That's the truth. That is the truth. That's the God's honest truth. I am the worst at that. I have yeah. to If I Google Paul P. comic, I will get Paul Provender up on, on top. Uh, and then it, there's a lot of... Um, weird Paul P comedians out there who are not you. Uh, they, you know, they got other stuff attached to the name Paul P sniffy or something like that. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Uh, but so anyway, uh, uh, you could use some help with the marketing, but you're a very funny guy. And I, this is why I think I want to expose you to the audience because we have a big comedy fan base in this audience. And I think if they get to know you, it's, it's good marketing. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, I thank you for having me on. You know, I definitely appreciate that. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. Now, uh, where are you from? Because I see you know, you've been in Caroline's, you've been in Broadway Comedy Club. I'm thinking New York guy, but now I see, uh, now, and of course, many comedians travel and get around, but I see you in Indianapolis on August 13th at uh, Fountain Square. Where are you from? From, I started new, I, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I was born in Brooklyn. All yes. Right, cool. So thank God my birth certificate says Brooklyn, you know, so it means something. You're not yeah. just out there. So uh, born in Brooklyn, but raised in Florida. And I started stand up in Florida and then um, got into Broadway and got into Carolina. So that's where I really started to hone my skill was in New York. And I moved to New York in 2018, no, 2017, December. And right. then it was like, you know, I have to get to the grind because um, it's important. We were talking about the New York comedy scene yesterday because, you know, people, they think L.A., New York, uh, Chicago, those are the places to be. But um, I don't find 
because I follow comedy a lot, and I'm always looking for for comedy shows that are interesting. I don't find New York scene to be that great. Do you? As far it, as the comedy it, scene, it is. It is only because um, the opportunity to get on stage four times in a day, three times in a day. If you really want to get good, you want to do it in New York. That opportunity is just you know one of them. That's a good point to be able to do, you know, go from one place to another and work. Um, have you done any of those like afternoon shows? Because those I can't, I can't imagine myself going to a comedy club at five o'clock in in the afternoon or something. Have you done those? Yes, sir. I have uh, six o'clock on Broadway, so it's you know, but the feeling there. Thankfully, it's in the basement. So the feeling is still of night. You know what I mean? So right. You, it feels like night. I get it. Yeah. No, I, I can appreciate that. That's why I keep it dark in here. So it feels like night, even though it's bright as day outside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel, I like, I'm a nighttime person who ended up doing a morning show. Um, I don't know. I'm insane. That's why. Um, so uh, with, with that stuff, with the crowds that come in, though, at 5 o'clock, um, are they are like ready to party? Are they ready to laugh? They ready? They bring that energy in at five o'clock, or is it a dinner crowd? Like I'm just here to have a couple of drinks and uh, not really pay that close attention to the comedian. Sometimes they're there to laugh, but you really got to bring it out of them. You know, sometimes yeah. it's more. They have the, sometimes those crowds may have like a kid with them. You know, because it's the middle of the day. But those audiences, you really gotta you gotta just. Um, I heard Joey Diaz say this, by, you know, this clip my girlfriend sent me as um, motivation. And he's like, you really got to dig into the ground. You got to dig your nails into the ground on the stage and really leave your soul out there. And so with those five o'clock, six o'clock crowds, you better do that because uh, comedy at night, they want it. In the right. afternoon, they, they may need it and they kind of want it, but you got to give it to them way more. It's not as easy. Right. Uh, yeah, I get that. And a big part of uh, outside of New York City is a lot of comedians creating their own opportunities and doing shows in places that aren't comedy clubs. And the thing that comes up all the time is bar shows. Have you done bar shows where cause I, as a musician, you can be background, right? But as a comedian, you can't be background. You got you got it. And so how do you get the attention of people who are there to get drunk or get pussy? <laughs> you got to get, get loud as fuck, man. I'm going to be honest with you. You got to get loud. You got to get out there. You got to get in their face. You got to walk around. Because it's a, if, it's a, if it's a restaurant, you can't just stand there like it's a stage. Because we know there's no real stage. Even if there's like a little crepe you're standing on, it doesn't count. So you got to get out there, walk, not too much into the audience where you're like, you know, a waiter, but you want to get out there and talk to these people, man. You got to engage them. You know, what are you guys doing over here? This is what you're drinking. I wouldn't drink that. You know, maybe get a mojito next time. You know, you got to fuck with them. You got to get in their face, man. Because if you don't, they're like, they're just going to focus on the food. And then they're going to have table conversation because those people, they are not there to see comedy. They are not. I get that. Now, it strikes me as listening to you say that, that, you have to be a certain kind of comic to have any success in that because if you're the kind of guy who is uh, Stephen Wright, uh, I mean, that's just an, I'm just trying to think of a guy who's really subdued and really laid back. You, you can't do that. You can't become something. You can't become loud and, uh, and aggressive and in your face if that's not your style of comedy because Stephen Wright's act, I don't care what how loud he gets. If he comes over to your table and does, uh, you know, his one-liners that uh, it'd be like, that really doesn't work. So you have to, have, yeah. yeah. 
So uh, when with your comedy, what what do you uh, uh, what kinds of uh, things do you talk about? Are you talking about life observations? Are you talking about stories? Are you telling jokes? Uh, me everything. Like uh, I get on everything. I don't care what it's about. Um, I don't want to offend anybody, but at the same time, I have this saying: in a hundred years, you know what I mean. In a hundred years, it won't matter. So I'm gonna use, you know what I mean? I'm gonna use this opportunity right here, right now. Uh, you know, cause I do go to open mics as well as do shows because some comments, oh man, you know, you've been doing it. I've been in there for seven years, you know? So, but it's like, hey, you shouldn't be doing open mics anymore. And I'm like, to hell with it. I need to touch a microphone. I don't care where it is. I need to touch a microphone. And if you really love it, you have to go out there and do it. So I'll always express my ideas. And even at shows, I'll express my ideas about what's going on, like the shooting. I, and, and to answer your question, I didn't finish at the end. I live in Indiana now. Um, so that's answered right. the question from earlier. Yeah, well, I had a guy on who was from Indiana yesterday, and he's been on a couple of times. But um, his take on it, uh, on, on the comedy clubs in, and he's now in, uh, he's down by Cincinnati, which is close to uh, uh, Kentucky. But he said, you know, Indiana is a very conservative, very stuffy, uh, not too tolerant, uh, state which I would did not know about. Do you find that to be the case or not? No, no, no. They're no. no they're very tolerant. They want to hear it. You know, even when you're talking about Trump, they want to hear it. When you're talking about Biden, they really want to hear it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you got to give it to them. So I mean, but everybody's different. So, um, but I, I like that they're like um, they they give you more freedom. I'll be honest with you, they give you more freedom in in, in, in Indiana than I do get in uh, new york because when i flew back to new york i had some shows at broadway at the end of uh, may memorial day weekend and i uh some of my material was a little more harsh because it was tuned different to indiana so the first show i did i was like oh okay i i have to take the gas you know take the pedal off a little bit and just give it to them a little lighter uh so you can't take the same route to the same destination Wow. Uh, yeah, you got to be able to read the room, right? But uh, a lot of guys, especially younger when they're starting out, that's not the case. They, you know, I'm, this is my act. This is what I'm going to do and only have one thing and don't have something. They don't have somewhere else to go when things start going bad. Um, you've been in it seven, eight years. How long have you been doing it? Seven, but I didn't do it from 2002 until the last, uh, till 2020. So from 2020 till not 2002, so from 2020 all the way up until 2022, I took like a break because COVID. So and I was like, I'm not, I can't really, you know, clubs will close, and I didn't want to do it online. I didn't find that to be a real uh, sucks, thing. don't it? I don't, I don't think you, you know, it's really hard to do stand up comedy or any, but you did do some sketches and stuff, right? You write and do and film your own stuff. Was that during COVID? Some of it, yes, sir, absolutely. Some of it was during COVID, but I, I like to just, it's um, its fun, man. You think of these stupid ideas, and I'm like, man, let's see who likes it, you know. But it's, uh, it's a lot. I like that stuff. I, I think you, your stuff is very good, and uh, I'm going to, you know, I should put the, the links to your uh, your Facebook page because people can see it there. We need to get you, a, a, like, a website where, where people can see the stuff. Do you have a YouTube channel or any of this stuff? I do have a, I do have a dog uh, and a YouTube channel. I like um, that dog. Thank you. He's an Australian Shepherd, man. The most, I, I, man, he's the best. He's the best. Um, but but so yes, I do have a uh, a website that I need to I'll reactivate it. It's checkonpaulp.com. Um, ah. but 
I need a, I need a better name than that. I don't like that name. That's why I took it down. Yeah, well, domain names, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but you probably get Paul P. Dot, uh, TV or Paul P. Dot mm. something, you know, with that, yeah. the com. Uh, but yeah, so I have your uh, your Facebook profile on the link scrolling across, and it, the link is in the description to make it easy for people so they can go there and see some of these skits. Now, those skits are very funny. Is that so? Is your goal long term picture to continue doing stand up, or would uh, it seems like you're you're ready for television writing skits, maybe short films, and maybe eventually movies? Is that your uh, ambition? Absolutely. Uh, long term, but still to do stand up because that freedom of speech is really there. You know, when you get to sometimes talk about stuff that scares people, but, you know, you give it to them anyway. But yeah, long term, I would like to get into more sketch uh, than, as you mentioned, television and more so into movies. But it's it's um, day by day. I have to keep that. That's why, you know, the thankfully with the advent of the Internet, it's like you can do it and have people see it. And it keeps you going and it's like, okay, good. This is good. So it's like, just keep putting it out there. Totally agree. And I think, and I'm probably the wrong person to make this judgment because I don't have television. I got rid of television in 2008. So that's 14 years now. I haven't had a traditional television in my house, but I feel like television and movies uh, both have run out of energy run out of new ideas run out of creativity they just want to rehash the same old thing so i have an idea for doing a late night show that is a streaming show but it is different than because network tv this james gordon guy the cordon whatever his name is the guy who's on after stephen colbert he's leaving and i know many comedians express oh i'll take that job i'll be right for that job and i'm like you know what they're gonna do no matter who they get they're just gonna place them back in that put them behind a desk have a guest come out and sit next to them run bits and then a musical guest and it's the same fucking shit that you've been seeing since 1960 or 1955 with the Steve Allen show on the Tonight Show uh, and without any new ideas. So I thought, well, you know what? How do you fucking shake up the world? You come up with something completely different, free, uh, uncensored. You can say fuck if you want on the air and nobody's going to... The internet has freed us up with this. So the idea of just doing something completely to throw network television on their asses and say this is for younger people you know college age people or people in their 20s to say wow this is something different i could get hooked on you know and it's interactive and all that kind of stuff so i have some ideas for that and uh if if you are open to them i would love to discuss those with you offline sometime and and because i have i do love your skits i think they were very funny and i think there's a way to maximize that and get you some real exposure with that stuff but i'm just pitching to you here right in public in front of people (laughs) hey listen i i appreciate someone who's who's willing and and able to say hey listen i can help in this regard because i know you have to know your weak points and you have to know okay i've got the comedy down i know i work very hard at that when it comes to the marketing part it's like dude you what are you doing you know i know it's bad i know it's really bad so i appreciate an expert saying hey let me help you out here. So I appreciate that. that. That's all, you know, so much of the business is that marketing stuff. No matter how funny you are, 
if people don't see you, people aren't exposed to you, uh, it's going to be, you know, it's every fucking club you got to go to. It's you got to sell yourself over and over again, where as once people you once your marketing is working for you, your name precedes you. And I think, you know, Rogan, I, I beat on Rogan too much, but he came out and people get tired of hearing me slag on Joe Rogan. But he came out. Uh, he was on the Lex Friedman podcast and he said, there's only a handful of us real comics in the world. And I like, man, that is such a fucking pompous thing to say. You think you think too highly of yourself because I interview comedians every day on this program and I see guys in their first and second year who will make me laugh harder than joe rogan ever had i think that being dismissive of those and the only difference between him and and them uh financially wise is that people know who he is he he had a television show he's got that exposure he's got the name that people recognize and that's it so marketing plays a huge role in this um when you so how did you get started when you first well, let me take it back before that when did you know you wanted to be a comedian did you know right when you were a kid that this is what you wanted to do with your life? No, but I'll tell you the first time I made people laugh, um, that wasn't family. Um, fourth grade and uh, science class, it's a Monday, and the lady goes, not the lady, but the teacher goes, um, does anybody here remember what we talked about on Friday? We're reviewing what you use for protection during sex. And I rose my hand, or I raised my hand, and I'm like, and she calls on me, and she's like, oh, I'm like, uh, condominium? Everybody laughs. And she's like, get out. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, not, I didn't know what a condominium was, but I knew the word. And I was like, all right, let's 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 see. So, <laughs> so, but, you know, but I got introduced to comedy. My sister used to watch Comedy Central. She used to watch uh, Comic View. She used to always watch comedy. And, um, you know, from there, that's when I was like, I can't do this. But then when I got to college, people were like, yo, you should do it. I still wasn't like ready to do it. And then afterwards, uh, I, I missed one interview in accounting and I didn't get this job. And I said, if I don't get this job, I'm going to do stand up. And then I didn't get the job. I knew I wouldn't get the job because I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. Um, but then it was like, all right, I'm 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 going to do an open mic. And, um, and was I that did. Florida? That was in Florida. Absolutely. And so what is that like? You go into a place and you sign your name on a list and wait for them to call you. You don't know when they're going to call you. You got to sit there and just hopefully, and does everybody even get on? You want to know what it's like, Matt? You want to know what it's like? Yeah. This is what it's like. These people. So I was there 9 p.m. because I'm I'm dedicated. It's August 22nd, 9 p.m. of Friday. I'm there. I put my name on the list like 8, 30, 9, 9 p.m. I'm there, right? Put my name on the list. They don't call me up until 12.30. 12.30. I see guys coming after me. They put them up, but I'm like, tonight's my night. I'm starting. And so finally, I get on stage. I look at the ground and look up a couple times, and then I'm like, all right, I'm done. I knew the first one was going to suck. Let's get it out the way. So um, from there, I was like, all right, let's, you know, let's let's keep going. So, but um yeah, it was wow. it was a negative. When you don't know anybody in the game, they just, you know, yeah. 
I, I that first time because my first time doing stand up, I went to a, I was in middle of the winter, and I went to a comedy club called Com- Conkama Comedy out where it was in Ronkonkoma, New York, and I went there and the parking lot was fucking empty. There was one car there, and I'm thinking I'm not going in this fucking comedy club to do. I'm going to be performing for a bartender. Is that what what this is? I mean, that's basically what I'm thinking, and I sat there for two hours waiting for cars to get there and no no cars came in but they said i'm just gonna go in there i walked in and the club was packed like there must be a back back parking lot or something i or people coming in from the train station it was packed and it was like a a week now tuesday wednesday night and i was and i went up and i now because i sat there so long i was like running through my act what I was going to do over and over and over again, got up on stage and forgot everything. (laughs) I mean, I had rehearsed it for two hours because I had nothing else to do. Got up there. And so it was just a matter of improvising the whole thing. And this is where I want to talk to you about because I read something online because this is what I started. I started doing crowd work. Like I was a professional and had been there and like, I have a right to just, pick people out and talk to them and it did not go well uh but i saw something online that said that we have an epidemic of crowd work in, in comedy right now it's like everybody feels like they don't have to prepare any material all they do is go in and work the crowd does that ring ring uh, a, a ring of truth with you do you do you feel like that's the case do you see a lot of people just go up there hey uh where are you from and uh oh you're married and, and you're just talking to the crowd the whole time yeah, I, I see a lot of that. And it's it's um it's like um here's the thing. You can go in with no material and I'm okay with that. But you go in with no material and you talk what's on your mind, that's one thing. Where you're just painting live. You know what I mean? That's one thing. You want to paint live, that's perfectly fine. Do what you want to do. You're an artist, that's perfectly fine. But you want to go in there and just talk to the audience, that's not comedy. That's not comedy. It's not right. um it's not real comedy. You anybody can do that. If you're a funny person, you I can go up there and bullshit with the best of them. But yeah. are you telling them a story? You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I do think, uh, I, and I don't know if it's epidemic, but I know a lot of people, um, and I think you, you earn the right to do that, but you, you can't just go in like I did and think uh, my very first time on stage and think I can just be, be um, and one of those guys who just picked, you know, I can't be Don Rickles. <laughs> no, 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 no. God bless him, man. Rest in peace, Don Rickles. One of the best of the best. I'm, I'm too fucking old, man, for to come up with that reference. I mean, that just points out what a fucking old man I am. Fucking no, Don Rickles. No, if you're a student of comedy, you know that reference. And I, you yeah. know, I, I, yeah, I know that reference. Don Rickles, yeah. I used to love him on The Tonight Show with Leno. He's always, he's always giving it to me. You know, there, there's that's a whole other thing. Is there, there are guys who are great in talk shows and and those you know those uh, venues where they get to be themselves. Not, and I'm not saying Rickles wasn't, but there are guys who are great at that, but not so great at being actually on stage doing their standup. It's a whole different thing. Um, and I think I guess you can be great at both, but there are people who were will shine at one or the other. You can be a great stand-up and suck in the interview part mm-hmm. of it where you go and sit down with a guy. It's, it's, it's a whole other um, 
I guess, skill set of being. And I think Norm, Norm McDonald figured that out at some point just to say, what am I going to do? I have to have to I have to tell stories. This is what people do on talk shows. Well, I got no stories. I'm just going to take an old joke book and make believe that's a story that actually happened to me. And that's what he did with Conan O'Brien, like constantly. He would just go pick out a, a an old stupid joke and actually tell it like it's a story that actually happened to him. <laughs> yes. Norman McDonald, one of the best. Yeah. Uh, so that was eight years, and you have the date and the the time and all that stuff. So obviously, uh, it was a significant moment in your life. Uh, so it changed your life. And and at that point, did you just decide that this is what I'm going to do with my life? Make it your your dream, your life's goal. I guess all that corny kind of talk. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, no, it's not it's not corny. It's the truth, man. Because I, I, I asked my uh, father, my late father, long back in like 2015, I said, hey, listen, um, uh, you know, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. And this is an old Haitian guy, you know, an immigrant, you know, he's like, you know, you got to walk funny, you got to talk funny, everything you do has to be funny. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I was like, I'll take the advice. Yes, sir. I'll take the advice. You know, he just told me that. He said, everything you do has to be funny. So uh, I had a, a, a Haitian friend who uh, I did a magic trick for. I did a card trick for him. And uh, he he responded, but he called it voodoo. And he said, <laughs> he said he was going to turn me into a rat. No, Jesus. And he was serious about it too. I, I guess in, in, in Haiti, voodoo was still a real thing. I don't know. He, he was a. <laughs> I would. I'll turn you. Oh, put him on the air. Um, no, no, no. That's. <laughs> um. So working now. You mentioned before. You know, seven, eight years. I still do open mics. I think it's important. I think guys, thirty years in, unless you're like Dave Chappelle, and even Chappelle walked into open mics sometimes. I think. Everybody needs to work, especially when you're working on new material, which makes comedy a very unique art form because no other place in the world do you need to go and try out your new art in front of a live audience. And that's what makes it unique. So I don't think you ever stop doing that, do you? No, you can't. If you love it, you you can't. You can't. You just can't. And, and you can't practice it in front of a mirror or your friends, right? That whole... I heard Colin used to do that. When he'd write his material out, he'd try it on his friends and family. Uh, that, that to me, that's a tough thing to do because, I mean, uh, you know, do, doing a, a rehearsed act for your friends and family just is a weird thing for me. I would never do you know, What do you think of this? <laughs> no, I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, so Indianapolis on uh, August 13th. That's a... Um, a pretty big show, right? You got like five or six people on that. Uh, Mike Stryker, um, Roberto Garcia, you, you, Duncan Kissinger, um, at the Fountain Square in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, what what's that room like? It's Have fun. You been there before, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it. They they give you um, they give you what you give them. Uh, so they, they always, it's a, it's always, it's not, it's intimate, you know, very intimate, but they're always paying attention to who's on stage and they're always, they want to laugh. So just give them, it is, it's really like, um, one of those easy nights of comedy where you like, you walk in and you say, 
And then somebody farted. And then they're like, oh, my God, they farted. You know what I mean? And then they like, they give you everything. You fart know. jokes and dick jokes, man. If, if you can't get in with fart jokes and dick jokes, uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's funny. Uh, so in Indianapolis, so do you travel around the state of Indiana? Or do you get a, a, around um, uh, the state much? A little bit. I've been down to, like, I'll be going down to Bloomington. Um, like next weekend, but you know, really just Indianapolis mo- uh, mainly. Um, so that that's for the main part, only because it's like uh, gas prices are too damn high, so I'm not doing that. That's not yeah. Um, uh, so and and the stand up uh, part of it. So you book stuff or on your own, or you're creating your own opportunities, like uh, and and things outside of comedy clubs, or is there just enough comedy club work in the state of Indiana to keep you going? No, I book stuff outside. Uh, I, I reached out to some comedy clubs in Chicago so I can get over there and start making a move over there. And I'm going to start reaching out to some in Cincinnati. One of my friends wanted to get me in uh, like a few months ago. Uh, and I was like, no, I'm not I'm not prepared to go and drive two hours for a night of comedy. So um, now I am. Well, not now, but like later on this year, I will be. But August, I'll be going to wait till gas night. prices come down just a little bit more. <laughs> I might use E85 to be honest with you, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's it's really because uh, there are times you know I'm just the whole fucking thing with the gas prices have really impacted a lot of people because people don't real. I had a guy on last week. He said he drives two hours to get to an open mic. And he's not getting paid for. That's a tough, a tough fucking road to hoe you can't do that five nights a week and you know it's a losing proposition uh, and it puts a lot of damper on your advancing your career and even to get good gigs you got to be out there doing the open mics and sometimes you're not getting paid the the um model of comedy is built on is really it always uh, it's amazing to me that comedians put up with what it takes to make it because musicians would never do that. I mean, on my first gig as a musician, I got paid $125 for in 1974, very first time out. I know comedians, I had a guy on, he said he headlined a bar show for the first time, he got paid $20. I feel like I've made it. Like, well, after eight years, getting paid $20. Yeah. So uh, why, why do you think, I know this is kind of a heavy question, but why do you think the model is that and why, comedians accept that model more than any other art form that well, is not getting paid for so long because it's an upside down pyramid uh and uh the everything lies on the comedian's back the whole everything does but they're the most expendable because there's so many comedians out there so a lot of comedy clubs will be like they don't care about you ultimately they care about the bottom line which is the beverages and how much food they sell so ultimately comedians are willing to take it and if you're not willing to take it there's somebody else out there who's willing to take it they may not be as funny as you but who cares you know what i mean we just need them yeah. to host you know what i mean for a little bit you know yeah you know i never seen a comedian do what or what musicians have done uh to uh, to get started in that, and where where I be, you know, prostitute yourself for, because you said it's all about selling drinks and, and food and stuff. Musicians when they're first starting out who uh, w- want to get paid, they're really good 
at you know make sure you you know you patronize the bar tip the bartenders all constantly doing that stuff I'll order the wings here the wings are great <laughs> you know selling selling from stage i never saw a comedian do that in my life and i, I not that i would want to see that but i think if i were starting out I think that would impress a club owner. They don't know. Oh, this guy's selling my shit. I don't care how fucking funny he is. He's selling my shit. He's making me money. Cash registering and bringing him back. That was always the idea behind that. But yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know. I'm gonna, you, I promise to God, I am going to do that tonight. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do that tonight. I'm not even joking with you. I'm going to do that tonight. Okay. If, I may, if I may, if I may, I'm going to oh. do that. Oh yeah, that would be that would be. I, I'm curious to see how that would go over. Like, what the fuck is this comedy? Because even uh, we get that in music too. Like, what the fuck are you? Are you, are you working the kitchen here? Are you a waiter or you're a fucking musician? Uh, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, any like really memorable? Uh, I don't want to say bombs, but nights that where something just went completely haywire and wrong that they come to mind. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love those yeah. nights. Um, yeah. Those nights are great, man. Those nights are great because I always video record every set, and I like to watch them. So uh, Church Hills in Miami, uh, you know, on a hot street, just every Monday night, tearing it up, tearing it up, tearing it up. And then you know, some nights you're like, you know what, I'm gonna go up there and tear it up. And then that night, I know it, it was it was just crickets, man. But, but I liked it, though. I liked it because I kept going and it was just, it felt, it felt, uh, you feel, you don't feel so good. You don't feel so good. You don't feel so good in the moment, but I knew it was like, all right, let's go through it. Let's just get it over with. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it, man. Believe me. Uh, and I'm superstitious like this. If I fit, I got it in my head that if I build it up that this is going to be a great gig tonight, it's, I'm going to be disappointed. If I go into the, into it with a, like, ah, nobody's going to be there it'll be, and it'll be just another night and then uh, it surprises me and wow that was a really great gig so mm -hmm. i got myself trained to think negatively on my way on the drive to a gig i'm always like thinking it's gonna suck and when i do that most of the time it doesn't suck it's a good gig but one bad gig will send me into a funk i i couldn't this is why i'm not cut out for stand-up comedy and i think you have to have a special thick skin to be able to back bounce uh back bounce back fucking words <laughs> bounce back bounce back from a bad experience like that i don't i i had a bad gig last saturday night i'm still hurting from it <laughs> emotionally it depends because for me, per, I, I like to, I like, I, I don't mind those because it's always a gut check. Like, you know what? You're not who you, you are who you think you are because you got to believe in yourself. But at the same time, it's always good for me to come back down and have that gravity moment of like, all right, sit down somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what do you, when you get, when you go through that though, when are you, do you go uh, and, and think about like writing new material immediately do you just uh, get away from it what what is your method of dealing with it do you do you get drunk and high what i mean what do you how do you how do you deal with in with the in the immediate aftermath what's the what's the fallback watch the tape i'm big on i'm like a quarterback you got to watch the tape what did i do wrong what were my mannerisms on stage was i looking down too much was i you know what i mean what was i doing and then it's time to like all right let's get to work Maybe I could shorten this up. Maybe I can rewrite this a little bit better. Maybe I need to lengthen this a little bit more, give them more detail about certain things. But then it's also about, you know what? Maybe it was the crowd. Because sometimes some comedians will be like, it's never the crowd. That's bullshit. Sometimes it's the crowd. 
Oh, I can tell you, 40, 45 years in the business of, of entertainment, there definitely uh, are bad crowds at the crowds. And here's the thing that I found out is sometimes you feel like you're bombing. The crowd is not responding. They look like they're half asleep or even dead. And then the show's over, and they come up and say how much they enjoyed it. It was great. Oh, you uh, can I get your card? Can you know when? When can we see you again? How you know where are you playing next? It's like, wait a minute, you were fucking sleeping in your chair there. What the fuck is going? Is it me? But so there are bad crowds, and there are crowds that are look like they're bad crowds and feel like they're bad crowds. They just don't have the energy that night to give it back to you, but that doesn't mean they don't appreciate it. Have you run a, a, across that where you thought you bombed and then people were like, wow, that was fucking hysterical, man. Thank you. I just laughing yeah. on the inside. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That happened at uh, Crackers Comedy Club in May. Uh, I came home and I was telling my girlfriend on the ride home, like, listen, this was bad. Tonight was bad, you know, because I'm, I'm going to because typically I'll show her so she can, you know, enjoy the laughs with me. But I'm like, it was bad. It was real bad. And then we get home and I'm, I'm watching the tape with her. And she was like, it wasn't bad at all. But it was like I didn't hear them laughing in live time. I didn't hear these people laughing at all. I thought they hated me. But you know what? Turns out it wasn't so bad as I thought it was. But, you know, sometimes yeah. they. Yeah, they they do do that to you. Right? You know what I would do? I would fuck with myself. I put I put a laugh track on it just so I make make me feel. No, better. no. <laughs> rule number one for me: it all has to. I never. I can never do that. Put a laugh track on my thing. That's that's just that's. No, that's, I'm not saying for public consumption. Just for me, so I could oh, watch it you? back. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, they love that. Oh, oh yeah, they love that. Just so I can get through watching it. <laughs> no, no. But you want to feel that pain because it, it's a beautiful thing when you see yourself not doing it. Right. It's a pain. Thing. Is pain important to to comedy? Is is it? Yeah. <laughs> if you think you're just gonna uh, like, uh, that's why I love seeing good looking people do bad at comedy because it's like get your good looking ass the fuck out of here. You don't belong here. This isn't your room. You know what I mean? <laughs> You don't need a hat to look good. Get out of here. You know what I mean? I need a hat. You know what I mean? You can, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, and I think, you know, I'm going to come back to Rogan for a second here. I, I, I fucking can't. It's like I'm obsessed with the guy. But, uh, I, money, because he got that $100 million contract. Money changes uh, people, right? And, and I think it does in, com in comedy in a big way. And when you're struggling, because I've seen, I used to do shows back in the 90s when the internet first came out. I used to do shows from Nobody Beats the Wiz. Being a Brooklyn guy, you had to know Nobody Beats the Wiz, right? The, the, the appliance store. Guys used to do comedy at lunchtime. We had a, a, a special going on. Every day at lunchtime, they would, we would bring comedians in, and I would videotape them. And these guys were hungry, and they were really good. And then I saw some of those guys, and their careers took off. And years later, and they became very well off. And the edge was gone. They weren't as funny. I think sometimes, you know, that struggling aspect for comedians it makes them funnier. And and I I think if you get a hundred million dollar contract, all of a sudden that's where you start thinking I'm better than everybody else, and you lose that edge. Yes, well, you don't know. You haven't had that hundred million dollars. No, yet. I have not. But I have seen comedians. <laughs> I have seen comedians who uh, who are I, you see their first special compared to their most recent special, and it's like it, it, there's something different there. 
But I believe, I forget, uh, was it Joe Lewis? Which boxer made that quote where it's hard to get out of the bed in the morning at 5 a.m. and go run when you got silk sheets? You know what I mean? So Wow, I never heard that. But that yeah, that makes that's absolutely true. I mean, it's hard to get that motivation when things are too easy for you. Um, what about this, this special thing? Because you know, seeing somebody live, is so much different than watching it on TV because the room adds that energy of laughter. Laughter is contagious, especially if you're sitting there with somebody who doesn't who doesn't share your um, taste in comedy. Like you know, my wife is a big fan of very clean comics, and sometimes if I watch that a special from somebody who's just too too G-rated. I don't laugh along, and so she's always looking at me for approval. Is it okay to laugh at this? Because I, she finds that funny, and I think that there's a big part of that. Where in a comedy club or a theater, people around you are laughing, you lose that inhibition. So you you you're just completely with the comedian. Uh, the idea of specials. Uh, do you think that really? Um, shows comedians for who they are i mean richard Pryor. we can go back to that that was then nothing that was funny whether you're watching it alone or in a room of uh of, but so many people are doing specials now that i think some of them they lose that edge of being live what, what's your take on that oh, live versus tape memorex is it memorex or is it live I like the I like live, but but you know the the, the tape specials it depends. The the really good ones, the specials that are really special, they can be taped or live. Like anything, seeing Richard Pryor live or on tape, or even Red Fox listening to his specials, even if you listen to them on uh on your uh, iPod or iPad or whatnot. They're yeah. still really good to listen to. I listen to Red Fox on vinyl. Uh, my father used to have uh, Red Fox, Mom's Maybe, all of you know <laughs> records. Flip Wilson. Yes. Uh, it's classic stuff, man, and vinyl, and you actually had to get up and flip it over and all that kind of stuff. Flip Wilson had a uh, a record that he started with um, just silence. <laughs> he put the needle on it, it was quiet, and he, it, the, the bit was called We're Recording the Silence. Uh, and because uh, that way, every time you listen back, it will be different. <laughs> no. <laughs> making it up like a, but yeah, classic stuff. I mean, all, all those vinyl stuff that I grew up on. Now, of course, you know, now it's all been digitized and you can find that stuff out there. Um, are you uh, at the point? Because too many. Oh, we got to say goodbye to Govs already. Govs Radio. We are in Govs Radio podcast five days a week, Monday to Friday. But we need to say goodbye to them at 1045 to get ready for the Knock 'em Dead comedy show, which is next up on Govs. We'll still be live on Mind Dog TV. I'm here with Paul P. Uh, stay with us. But uh, Govs, we have to say goodbye to Govs right now. Bye, bye, Govs. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, where was? Are you at the point? Where you're you're thinking about because you say you tape everything, thinking about doing a special or or is not ready yet. Or I know guys who've been doing it six months. They think they're ready for a special. No, in reality, no, I am not ready for a stand-up special, an actual special where you toured the material itself, the full one hour. Now, do I have I have probably an hour and thirty minutes worth of material? Is it a special? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Absolutely not. You got to be real with yourself. Okay. Now, uh, because, and this isn't, I think, an important distinction. Maybe I'm wrong, but Jackie Martling, 
who was a regular on this program, he was one of the first guys who like self-produced his own uh, album. Now that's different from a special because it's just a listening experience, but it was a great way of getting him out there. And it didn't have the dif- the difference is you can edit. So you can take, it doesn't all have to be from one show. You don't have to be dressed the same way. It doesn't have to have any continuity. You can just take this bit, that's track one. And then this bit from another show, that's track two, recording all your shows. And it not only gives you a some kind of monetary stream, you put it on whatever the streaming services are and you can make a buck or two. My fucking royalty checks are fucking pitiful. But um, it, it also kind of is a prestige, a, a call, you know, like business owners put out a book in order to get more business. Comedians, can, I, I, this is my album, automatically it's club owners see that and they think well that's a, an authority piece you must be somebody pretty big if you got an album out any thoughts on that part of it just like doing an audio album a streaming audio album or something yeah that i like that i like yeah. that's yeah that 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 i would do because that's just like putting up a clip on instagram or anything like that that i'm yeah more than ready to put that material out there absolutely <laughs> Yeah, now Jackie was doing that in 78, 79. I'm surprised more guys aren't going that way because it does seem like, listen, you're not going to get rich off it. Um, Again, my royalty checks, I, I've had Spotify checks come in with like $6 or $8 or something ridiculous like that. But I have had some, I, I think my biggest one was $1,750, which was a nice check for that month. It was like, wow, look at this. And so it, it does help. Every little bit helps, especially when you're trying to build a career. And then again, you can use it as a part of your press kit, your uh, booking stuff, you know, on the, as heard on. Yes. Yes. I'm just giving you marketing ideas here, my friend. <laughs> I'm taking them. I'm literally taking them down. The one with the comedy club representing there, uh, looking out for the kitchen. And then the other one, uh, this one right here, which is making sure that, hey, you have to promote yourself and how you promote yourself by making those albums where it doesn't have to be a special, but it can be an album. Where that, I feel comfortable putting my name on an album not a special well very cool yeah. i i you know what i appreciate you um not because most of the guys who have I, and i know uh i listen i've blown up uh stuff too forgotten about it too I, i'm not, but that you came back and you said you know what i i want to make up for it and be on the show and all that kind of stuff appreciate that and uh i'll do anything i'm i am probably uh, uh if you make a fan out of me, I will be an evangelist for you forever, and I will be. So all I'm saying is that anything, even though you're on today, uh, anytime you got something coming up, you just drop me information on what you got coming up. I'll be glad to share that with the audience constantly and continue to promote you and help you out in any way I can. I look forward to seeing uh, bigger things from you, and, and hopefully you continue to uh, your career will continue to grow and then when you get when you blow up like Chappelle or or uh bill burr or who, uh, whoever uh, you know the biggest names in comedy are i could say i knew him when <laughs> nah never that not even you're not even gonna say he goes I'm, I'm on the phone with him now not even i knew him i'm on the phone with him now no, no, well, no, no, no. i appreciate that uh so other than the august 13th date which is a, a pretty big date coming up you got uh anything else you want to let people know about now uh, third weekend of August, uh, not third weekend, third Tuesday of August, I'll be at the Laugh Factory in Chicago. Laugh so, Factory in Chicago. That's a good gig. 
That, yes. you, that, you know, but it's the, the rooms now. Caroline's Broadway Comedy Club, all those stuff. Those are pretty, uh, you know, prestigious names that uh, for clubs that not everybody gets a chance to even. Well, I, I, there are paper shows for at, at Broadway now. I know somebody who's doing that. They're charging comedians for stage time. What is, what is your take on that? The idea yeah. of charging a comedian, not not only not paying them, but charging. That's a whole other paper paper performance. Uh, uh, wait, charging them to perform? Yes. Yeah, I had no producer. Where you pay to perform more? Yeah, comedians. Instead, you—you not only are you not getting paid, you have to pay them to get on the, the stage. stage and get five minutes of mic time. I think it was fifteen dollars for five for five minutes of mic time. Well, well, the last I saw, it was like, wow. I saw man, one, I've had to do that. See, here's the thing: the market. It's about the market, right? New York. The market there is you got to pay to do an open mic. Never, I've never paid to do a show. If anybody pays to do a show, I, I don't know. You got you to get an agent at that point. But yeah. to do an open mic, I've had to pay $5. Only in New York, in Florida, as well as in Indiana, you don't have to pay $5 because the market doesn't call for it. So uh, would I like to pay the money? No, I would not like to pay the money. Not at all. Feels but, like rape to me, and I, I said this because yesterday I, I, I paid a, a traffic ticket, and it was one hundred and fifty dollars for the traffic ticket. But then they put on a twenty-seven dollar service fee. I'm like service fee, that feels like not only are we raping you anally, but we're not even going to use a drop of lube. Uh, <laughs> like, what the fuck? You just make the ticket one hundred and seventy-five then, or whatever it was. Don't give me this service fee crap. That just feels like you know what. Uh, you just be so, adding insult to injury. <laughs> I got my car towed in New York where I shouldn't have gotten it towed. And it was October 2020. And I came to, because I was moving from there, completely moved from there back, not back, but to Indiana. And they towed the car. They gave me a ticket at 10 p.m. Then they gave me another ticket at 6.30 a.m. right before they towed the car. So they gave me two tickets. And then so when you go get your car back, you got to pay for those tickets. Then there's a fee to get your car back out of there. So mind you, this is all in a rental that I should have returned. Uh, that night, I never would have. Yeah, right? If I would have returned it that night, that, you don't even understand. I wouldn't have ever had to deal with it if I returned it that night. But because I said, you know what? Let's have a little wine and go to bed. You know, I'll do it in the morning. Wow. That's like, so you pay a two tickets, yeah. two tickets, a towing thing, and yeah. the late fee on a rental. Holy yeah. fuck. What a rape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it was good. It was good. It was good. good. Solid. They got me good. Goodbye, New York. Yeah, must have made moving away uh, a little bit easier. Like, fuck you, New York. Uh, I mean, I love you from there, but fuck you. <laughs> Thanks fuck you a lot. Thanks. It was really, it was the best thing. It was a going away present from New York that only New York could give you, which is yeah, uh, I, bullshit. I get it, man. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's a, a difficult thing to go through. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. You seem really good with dates. Yeah, Kevin says bringer shows, but no, I'm not, I wasn't talking just about bringer shows. It's bring money. You, I know the bringer shows where you have to bring your family. Because when I did stand up, that was, that was part of the reason I stopped doing it. I had to bring five people 
Uh, and basically the five people were going to be my wife, uh, her, uh, a relative, and, and th another couple. And then I'd have to buy them all dinner to get them to come, or and drinks to come see me. So, And I had to take the night off from a gig that I had, a music gig that I had that would pay me $150, $200, whatever it was. So it ended up being uh, every time I, play, I did a stand-up gig, I would lose $350, $400. Like, this is not working out. <laughs> no, no, keep... and, no. Yeah, but bring a show to something totally different. Now, and I still think, I, I hear what you're saying, the market in New York and people, because it's in demand and, and and if it's a prestigious club that people want to be part of. I don't know if they do it in L.A., like at the comedy store. You would think if, if any place, that would be the place that people would be willing to pay for stage time. But it's still, for somebody like me, it's really hard to wrap my head around. Wait a minute, I'm paying you and basically, it's not the club you're paying. It's the producer who arranged with the club to put on that show at that time. I'll bring you comedians. I'll fill your room. Just leave it up to me. And they're the ones making the money on it. It feels dirty. It feels dirty to me. Yeah. Uh, you you got to give them a little cut, you know. But that, that's how comedy is, though. Comedy is um, we have a worse deal than rappers with their record contracts. Like, we have a worse deal. You know what I mean? And we don't even, it, it takes a very long time to get to the point. Well, not a very long time. Some people, you know, take some, however long it takes them to get to that point of a fair wage. There's always, people think they have a magic formula about this. I've heard six years, but you know what? There have been, like, there have been few exceptions that have done it really quickly. Freddie Prince comes to mind. Freddie Prince was 22. He, I think he only started comedy at 18. So by the time he was 22, he was... On the Tonight Show, constantly he was considered like on the top of his game. He had his own television show. He was, he, but that's few and far between those guys who make it really quick. Most comedians, uh, it takes years to develop your your act, your persona, get your name out there. And again, all a lot of it comes down to marketing. And you mentioned before those good-looking comedians sometimes. <laughs> like in Freddie Prinze's uh, case, it definitely helped that he, uh, for the period that women found him very attractive, and so that that helped him advance his career. But you know, whatever it is. But listen, I've uh, really appreciated getting to know you. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And again, anything you have to promote, let me know, and I will help you uh, promote it. Thank you for being here. Been great to thank you for on. having me. Truly, thank you for having me this time. I'm sorry about the last time, but I'm truly thankful to be here. And, and um, shit happens, man. Shit happens. I, I understand. And believe me, shit happens to me a lot. <laughs> My co-host today, uh, Fat Jay, which I hate calling him Fat Jay. Uh, I—that's his name. That's his stage name. I wouldn't call. You know, I feel it's weird. It's like I know, you know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> like Dan. He wants me I, to call him Day Dan. Like that's yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want, I don't, you know, I feel like I'm fat shaming the guy, but he, he brings that to the, I don't want to call you fat shaming, can I call you something else? But that's his stage name, so I have to call him fat, he was supposed to be here this morning, but he's in Chicago performing, so shit happens. Sure. Uh, anyway, I appreciate you being here, I will continue to uh, honk your horn and, and help you in any way I can, thank you for being a part of the show, and we look forward to big things from you. Absolutely, thank you so much, and I have, I have the notes, thank you so much, have a great day. I have a great day. Bye for now. Uh, Paul P., uh, you're going to find him. It's going to say Peter's Parkers when you find him on Facebook. And uh, I will share um, 
I will share his stuff with you. Now, speaking of sharing stuff, I got to mention William Conway's shows. William uh, has given me, he's got some shows coming up. Um, let's see. On the Rock Show, uh, Comedy Showcase, July 30th at 8 p.m. That's in Sioux Falls. Sioux, uh, run around Sioux Falls. Um, Friday, July 29th, uh, The Dope Show, Comedy Hip Hop extravaganza hosted by William Conway featuring Danielle Moore headliner Preston Williams uh musical guests Night Shield and Crime Sphere uh that's July 29th the dope show at Icon Event Hall I guess that's in Sioux, Sioux Falls it's definitely <laughs> it's uh up there in South uh, South Dakota and let's see what else we got here from from William uh Comedy hip hop event August, Friday, August fifth, eight thirty p.m. That's the dope show as well, um, hosted by William uh, Conway, uh, featuring Drake Strong, Danielle Moore, and Preston. Wait, Preston Williams gets around. Uh, anyway, so that's what we have for, uh, to promote for William Conway. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you will get on Paul's um, page there. Follow him. Remember, it's going to say Peter's Parkers. When you get to his Facebook page, that's the show for you tonight. Uh, today, tonight, the fabulous Derek Sheen will be with me. I'm I'm really excited to talk to Derek again. I haven't talked to him since the Potathon, and the Potathon it was uh, it was kind of we had Brett Brock on and Carlos uh, Valencia and Jake Danger Jolly all on at the same time with uh, also. Jamie and Carl and myself. So it was a cluttered room. It wasn't like one-on-one with, with Derek Sheen. Tonight I will have one-on-one with Derek Sheen and look forward to talking to him. Haven't had him on the Mind Dog TV podcast in almost two full years. So it'll be great to just kind of, I know he's working on an album. He's got some music stuff together. Uh, again, he's, his fucking stand-up is completely underrated and underappreciated. You have to check out his YouTube channel, but check him out with me tonight on the Mind Dog TV podcast. I hope you'll join me then. I hope you'll tell your friends. I hope you meet me there. Come on, make it a party. It's Thursday night. Listen, you either have the January 6th shit that's going on tonight that you could watch, or baseball is back. Now, if you're watching any of those two things and not watching Derek Sheen on my show, you're a fucking loser. (laughs) <laughs> don't watch baseball don't watch the january 6th i'll tell you what's going on with the january 6th shit come and watch me and, and derek and join the party be in the chat room make it a party come on see me then uh until then always remember to turn on your radio bye for now
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.